Greetings, everybody. Thank you for listening. This is Hear Her Sports, and I'm Elizabeth Emery. Before we get started, a bit of housekeeping. Hear Her Sports is taking off the month of August, but don't fear, there's plenty of new, inspiring conversations to listen to during that time. Last week, I launched Hear Her Sports Glenville, presented by the Cleveland YWCA for Front International. Hear Her Sports Glenville is a neighborhood stories project about the power of sports for girls and women, breaking barriers and reaching goals. Yes, Glenville is a Cleveland neighborhood, but the stories are not just about Cleveland. For example, I talked to teenagers working towards college scholarships and seniors finding community and better health at a local recreation center. I'd love it if you follow along on Instagram at hearherglenville, where each day there will be a new daily quote to introduce some of the women and girls participating in the project. There are also photos and some teasers. The 20-minute episodes are available on iTunes, Spotify, and your favorite podcast player, and directly from the website, hearhersportsproject.com. Of course, August is also a great time to catch up on Hear Her Sports episodes that you've missed. I still often think of Shelma Jun in episode 27, or listen to Megan Jastrob in episode 18. She has been on fire this season during a spring trip to Europe and at Junior Track Nationals, where she just won five titles and set a national record. Now on to this week's episode. I'm so excited to introduce Iris Slappendell, a founder of the Cyclist Alliance, a new women's cycling union. There are two parts to the episode because I spoke to her just as the organization launched and then again a couple of weeks ago. It's great to hear her goals and then about successes and what they've learned over the past six months. This is such an important organization with very big plans. As Iris mentions, Women's cycling is at a great moment right now. There are tons happening to make the sport better. As we speak, 12 women from Team Donon Dezel Ovelo are riding the entire Tour de France route one day ahead of the professional men's peloton. They are doing that to promote the idea of a real Tour de France for women. Well, let's get going and hear more from Iris. Today's guest is Iris Lapidel, a founder and the executive director of the Cyclist Alliance. The Cyclist Alliance is a new women's cycling union. I'm so excited to talk to her about all the changes and growth in women's cycling. Welcome, Iris. It's a real honor and a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Could you start by giving an overview of this new union and of where women's cycling is right now? Yes, I can. Um, so maybe start with where is women cycling right now, because that that's the reason we've we've created this union. So I think women cycling is a sport that's rapidly growing in the last few years. Um, the level raised, it's becoming more and more professional, and the teams are becoming more professional. And I think what is the best is that the races are getting really more exciting. So there is not just one racer who can who can win a race. There are like 10 or 20 racers, riders who can win a race. And that makes it very exciting to watch. Like if you're a fan of women's cycling, but if you've watched the past few years, the World Championships, for example, it's it's been all like really exciting races. So I think that's... One of the reasons we've started the alliance, because although it's going well, women's professional cycling, we believe, is on the verge of becoming one of the fastest growing women's sport and also commercially uh, lucrative. And to encourage that process, I think it's good for 
for women to have an active part in that progress. And uh, therefore, you, you need to create some some way that you stand together, that you have a uh, unite the voice, your voice. And I think that's the only way to talk with other stakeholders like the teams or the UCI, the, the International Cycling Union, or with the race organizers about how, how we're going to improve women's cycling and how the women can help and can be part of it. It's an important catalyst to push all those stakeholders. And uh, I think, and I have to say, we think, we believe as a, as founders that uh, without an association, the economics of the sport will remain small and in control of the hands of just a few people. And that will limit the opportunity for uh, women's racing today and in the future. Like the most important part of a sport is the players, are the riders. You know, without without the riders, there's no there's no women cycling. And I think that's why it's important to make your voice heard. And that's that can only be done. That's only easier if you all stand together. So, women cycling is really in a in a positive flow. Like it, it is really improving, but there's still many things that are not uh, well at the moment, not not good for the riders. And yeah, I think more or less that that's the that's the reason. So to be part of that positive mo- movement, to to be a, an active stakeholder, and um, to to have your voice heard. Right. What is the alliance doing, and how are they doing that? That's a big question. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So for for my background, I, w- I was a professional cyclist for 12 years and I was also part of the um, athletes commission within the International Cycling Union. And, you know, myself as a rider, I had some questions and I have some struggles sometimes, you know, when you have problems with your contract or your team manager or that whatever. And um at the same time, being the athlete's representative, I got similar questions from riders. So, I mean, it's clear that, that there are a lot of things that are not not done right and that the riders have a big ask for help when it comes to legal advice or, um, yeah, that, that kind of things. But to be sure, we've started out uh, in February 2017 with a survey we sent it out to all the UCI riders, um, over 400, 50% responded. And already the fact that so many riders responded is, um, yeah, is a clear sign that they really want and they're really looking for help and someone who helps them with uh, expressing their voice. And I, maybe coming back to your first question, that is, I think that should maybe be the most important thing. Why now? Because the riders want want it. They want someone, uh, some organization to to express their uh, voice and to help them. So, yeah. let me interrupt for one second. So, the riders that you sent this to and that you're representing are road or all women cycling in all the disciplines? No, they're specifically a road cyclist. Okay, and so they're all part of a UCI women's team. Got it. Okay, thanks. And um, so yeah, so we started out with a survey. From that survey, we um, yeah we wrote down like the main objectives or goals that the riders 
ask for or what came out of the survey. And uh, based on that mission and objective, we made a, a long-term plan. And that's like in the first year, for sure, we will make sure this association is established and that we have a seat in uh, multiple uh, UCI um, commissions. We support riders with legal advice and we have um, a new standard contract for the members that they can use already when they sign a new contract with their team. Um, and that's because, for example, we saw there are there are a lot of things written in contracts that are shouldn't be in there. And at the same time, almost no rider has a manager and almost no rider really understands what they sign when they sign a contract with the team. So it's like this this small, already this small part of education will improve their uh, situation. And then in the coming years, we're working, for example, on a mentorship program, uh, in a, on an insurance uh, package, representation on... Um, other organizations like the Professional Cycling Council or the CPA. And I think the most important thing that we were working on is to 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 push for a teams association. And then we can negotiate with the teams association for a, a joint agreement or like minimum working conditions. And I think that would be really huge. That's our that's our goal to have something like that established in the second year, and and that's a thing. Like if we can establish a, jo- a joint agreement, then yeah, you can rapidly improve the working conditions of the riders. That's really some specific things that we can help the riders with. And with the working conditions, are you mostly talking about salary, or are you talking about like on the job conditions? Both. So there's no minimum salary at the moment in women's cycling. So if the riders and the teams can negotiate a minimum salary, I think that would be a huge improvement. But at the moment, I think that women's cycling is not, it it, it is not, economically, it's not possible for all teams to provide a minimum salary. And also you don't want to kill your sport at the same time. But maybe with the top 10 teams that will be part of the Women's World Tour, uh, next year, it, it's possible. But I think, and that's, that's also something that came out of the survey, it's way more important for the riders to have, for example, professional staff members. So speaking about team managers, uh, sport directors with, with an education for a sport director, uh, mechanics and soigneurs who are educated as a as a mechanic or a swanier, you know, that it's not someone's dad or someone's boyfriend who is who is fixing your bike or massaging the whole team. So that is something that's, that's, that's very important. And secondly, uh, the equipment, uh, traveling, medical expenses. Yeah, those kind of things, uh, insurance, um, it, that is just not a normal thing for, for all riders, for all teams. And I think... To have um, a more equal, I think it's it's we shouldn't look too much, for example, to to men cycling, but first try to make uh, women cycling more equal. So now we have some riders that are very well paid, and like the top riders, they race every weekend against girls who ha- have no salary from the team, who still have a second job, 
who drive by themselves five, six hundred kilometer to a race or, um, you know, they, they, they don't stay in hotels. Yeah, we have to create an equal playing field. And, and those minimum working conditions are way more important than uh, a minimum salary. I think it's interesting, though, because, you know, on, on one hand, I agree with what you said. On the other hand, you know, if you give riders a minimum salary, then they can quit their job, then they can become more fit, then the peloton is deeper and the racing gets better and there's more interest. And I mean, it's like this cascade of what happens just by having a minimum salary for everybody. Yeah, that's true. But there is a danger because if you say, okay, we you have to provide a minimum salary to a team that doesn't have the the budget to provide a minimum salary, they will always create some constructions that the riders have to pay for other things or they have to pay back their salary. Or, you know, you get all this dodgy stuff going on on the on the background and you see that riders, they are so keen to be part of a UCI team that that they sign the most shitty contracts. Right, right. Uh, and, you know, at, at some point, I I feel you almost have to protect riders from themselves, from from signing for those kind of, uh, of teams that definitely don't have the best interest with their riders. I do agree with you that if you set a minimum salary, there is the opportunity for a more equal playing field, but also more equal teams. So some teams will... Uh, disappear because they can't afford it but maybe that are the teams that you know that are actually not that actually they don't have the level to be a world tour team right in in 2019 the plan of the uci is to to introduce a two-tier system and then you could say for example okay this tier one teams they have to provide a minimum salary the tier two teams they can be recognized, for example, more as development teams, and they don't have to provide a minimum salary. But I would love to see that they would provide other, you know, other things like, for example, professional staff or the opportunity for education or, you know, those kind of good insurance, those kind of things. Right. I, I want to go back to something that you mentioned about, like, how do you save, how do you save riders from themselves? for signing those crappy contracts? Because I think that's a, a really difficult thing because, you know, you've put all this effort into training and you want to get on a team. And then, but you're sort of perpetu you know, riders who sign those terrible contracts are just perpetuating the bad contracts. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's a really difficult thing. You know, I think education is very important. So they have to know what they really sign for, what they should, what they should expect from a team and what is definitely... Uh, not not right if it you know what what other things that are happening at teams um and i think it's also kind of to make them conscious that you know there is there is a um, yeah it, it's their own choice at the end but they sort of kill their own sport by by keep signing with bad teams and racing for them and I hope we can change that way of thinking through the Cyclists Alliance that at least when you speak about it and you can say, hey, this is not normal what's happening in your team, that riders are aware of it and they know, okay, this team is not a, a good team to sign for. At least, you know, when they're 
when they can ask me or some of the other board members before they sign with a team and we can say, okay, you can sign with this team, but in the past few years, this happens and this happened and this happened. So it's probably not a good idea to sign for that team. Then when they would still sign for it at the end, because they so badly want a, a contract, and then it's more or less their own choice. But now there's some kind of culture that when something bad happens in a team, a rider just by the end of the year moves to another team and no one speaks about it. So, yeah, then you sort of keep this culture alive because it's, um, yeah, it, it's um, it, it's something people don't speak about. So I think being open about it and educate and make them aware. And also, I hope this mentorship program can really help that you connect an experienced rider to a uh, to young rider and the young rider can be teached by the by the older rider. Uh, what's you know what is it? Not only what it takes to to be a professional cyclist, but also all the things around, like um, when it comes to um, to team ethics. Right, and you know, I th- I think what's interesting is that you're asking riders to take the leap of having to think of the sport as a whole rather than just their individuality. And I think from the outside perspective, that's what's different about this cyclist alliance than what I've seen in the past, in that you and Carmen are done racing so that you can proceed without fear of um, yeah. retribution. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's huge. Yeah, I, I hope so. I, I think it's... Um... For sure, it's easier for us now to talk to talk about it. You know, when yeah, like you say, there is no there is no team that that will say, "Hey, Iris, I, I don't sign you next year because uh, you know you're you're a difficult rider because you talk about all this." Right, right. With everyone, you can be the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. That's and and you know, I I would love to be the bad guy. I don't mind. <laughs> and you know. And I also, because we are also speaking with with team managers, and there are many team managers who also want, want to change the situation. So I think we're not a threat to any team or to any race organizer. I think everyone who has the right intention to improve women's cycling, and at the end, if we can change the economics of women's cycling, we, we will all profit, the riders and the teams. Uh, and the race organizers. So, yeah, if you have the right intentions, then I think everyone can be happy with uh, what what we've been uh, establishing here. And who who doesn't, I think, well, maybe then it's better if they, they leave the sport because, yeah, w- why are you in uh, women's cycling if, if you're just doing it for, I don't know, your own bank account or that you love to be in charge over a bunch of uh, women. I don't, I don't, I don't know what, <laughs> what the problems are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what are what are the barriers that you're facing? Um, at the moment, I'm actually really surprised that there are not so many barriers. I think the biggest barrier is to really educate people about our plans. And I think our concept is, like you say, it's it's different than what's been done before. So we really have to educate also the riders, of course, but also the, the teams on our plans, but also the UCI. As soon as we explain it, most people are like super enthusiastic about it. But um, 
uh, yeah, that takes a lot of time. So I think a barrier is that uh, that it's something new and it needs some some time to um, that everyone really understands where we want to go. But like the UCI responded quite, um, yeah, I'm, maybe I wouldn't say enthusiastic, but yeah, they were they were very positive about uh, what we're setting up. We've we're already speaking with some team managers, so. Yeah, for now, I think I don't really see any barriers. Yeah, just some practical stuff. That, that's great. Let's talk a little bit about the UCI. So you've spoken with them? Yeah, we had a meeting with uh, La Patiente, the new um, president of the UCI in uh, early December. Um, it's, it's a bit... Um, difficult like the last few years i was in the athletes commission and also in the road commission which is a, a quite important commission in uh, within the uci when it comes to road cycling so i've always been working with brian cookson so i knew him uh, i think quite well he was pretty open for the thing we were doing for women's cycling and now there's a new president, so you need to build on a new relationship. Sure. But yeah, I'm actually quite surprised or pleasantly surprised about his reaction. And I think, yeah, we're on the same page that uh, I, I think David Lapertient sees that in men's cycling, there is not much to gain for him there. If you really want to make a change in your sport in within cycling, then you can do that with women cycling. It's it's a blank sheet. You can create a whole new sport. You can do everything what's been done wrong with men cycling. You can do it right now with women cycling. And that is the opportunity for the UCI. And um, I think they see that opportunity. And it's to us to, to help them to achieve that, to make the change uh, and to push them maybe a little bit harder that it so it goes a little bit faster than most things uh, happen at the UCI. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I mean, everything you're saying sounds so optimistic, but I've seen a lot of lethargy or, you know, Cookson was quoted in, in the movie, Half the Road, you know, like it's a gigantic ship, it's hard to turn. And I just, oh my God, I just, I've, I'm tired of hearing that. Yeah, well, because women's cycling is not, it's not the, okay, maybe men's cycling. Yeah, it's hard to turn because there are so many stakeholders and there there is already so much established but in women's cycling it's not it's just uh yeah it's i think it's a very fresh sport and you can you can take it every direction and it's it's uh and we want to push it the right direction and i hope the uci you know is is, is part of that and will support or we support the uci it, you know it doesn't matter who takes uh, the lead, but yeah, I've, uh, you know, now we're discussing our plans with the UCI and, um, you know, Tracy Godry is, is, uh, is an important person in, in that as well. But she's, she's no longer a, one of the vice presidents, right? Yeah. 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 That's a shame. Yeah. Um, and there's also, I, I noticed there's no women in the, there's certainly no women in the top four, and Tracy is the only woman on the 17-person management committee, so that too is a shame. Yeah, that's really a shame. Yeah, I think the UCI is quite a big ship that's uh, hard <laughs> to um, Yeah, you know, it's politics. Uh, I'm not a big fan of politics. I just say what I think, and 
yeah i hope that will i mean it, it, it's something that that's hard to change and um at the end it's hard to change but i or, sorry to interrupt but i mean the other thing that i keep wanting to ask is is you know like somebody just needs to make a decision and make it happen true you know i'm oversimplifying i know that but at a certain point somebody has just got to make the decision and you know accept the responsibility for what happens that's true and and i think and what i was saying that you don't really need the uci to do that mm. you know the uci is an important stakeholder uh, but they are at the end they're also just a regulator so if the teams and the and the riders for example can come to an agreement about the working conditions or a minimum salary you don't need an, a uci to do that actually that's totally not up to the uci oh you i didn't know that no 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 that's that's not the responsibility of the uci you don't need the uci to create i don't know for example your own league like what i have been with tennis in the past or to connect your a league that you create with an online platform or a broadcaster or, you know, to some kind of a new digital media outlet. So, yeah, that's, um, yeah, I'm still super positive. I think. Yeah, I'm super encouraged just hearing that. That's awesome. Yeah. Can we go back and talk a little bit about some of the statistics that you learned from the survey? Like, what is the salary range for women road cyclists? Um, well, the the survey we did was between no salary or 40,000 uh, euros a year. But we saw from the survey that half of the peloton is is earning less than... 10,000 euros a year and 47% is earning less than 5,000 euros a year. So you can say that actually half of the riders has no salary. Right. And then there's like a small percentage that earns over 20,000 euros a year, I think 17%. And that's like the minimum income in the Netherlands, for example. Okay. And what are the top team leaders make and what do the top domestiques make well i think the um, the top leaders make around yeah between forty thousand and yeah i think there are just one or two or three girls maybe that make a hundred thousand a year got it and then the top domestiques make around twenty thousand you you can check it all on on the on the website okay we'll do I guess I was interested in, you know, like the numbers of people who are actually making a living. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then if you would say 20,000 is a living, then um, then I have to calculate fast. And it's like 35% of the peloton. So that's like um, 100 riders, maybe. Yeah. So it sounded like you said that the Peloton has been reacting really well to what you guys are doing. Has there been any resistance from any of the riders? And what has that resistance been? No, there's not been any resistance, actually, that uh, that, I, that I've heard of. Just a few said that they're like, hey, because they have to pay a membership fee of 50 euros a year. That's maybe uh, um, for some riders a reason not to sign up yet. Or not yet, maybe, hopefully later. That's the only thing, but... In general, they, they're all really positive about it, yeah. 
One of the articles that I read on your website talked about the difference between men's sports and women's sports and how women, you know, take in sports or consume sports. And I was wondering if you personally thought about how women do consume sports or watch sports or relate to sports and the athletes. I often wonder if women are interested in sports in a way that's that's different from men or if they are consuming sports in a way that's different from men because that's the kind of stories that they've been given. No, I think I think they're really consuming sports in a different way. If I for example when you talk about cycling when you know I ride a lot with with male cyclists, of course, I've always trained a lot with guys. I always feel like the men are more interested in the winners, like in the heroes. And it doesn't matter if it's a really uh, boring guy without any personality, if he won a race. Well, I'm always more interested in someone's personality or someone's, um, yeah, what, you know, what, what kind of, what kind of person it is. Maybe women also search more for that background of an athlete. Right. They're maybe less interested in the in the winner. What do you what do you think? I personally am not interested in sort of the blow by blow what happened in a race. I get very bored. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's too sort of egocentric to me. However, on the other hand, I never liked the NBC Olympic coverage from many years ago, they had those up close and personal interviews. And they were just, they were so far removed from the sport that it was no longer interesting to me either. So I think there's a balance somewhere. Yeah, yeah, of course, there is a balance. But I I think as a woman, more you try more to identify maybe with an with an athlete. And, And it's easier to identify with, with someone who has, for example, a mutual hobby or background or and it doesn't necessarily have to be the winner i mean i love uh serena williams because i i don't i'm not a fan of tennis but i like her because i think she's cool and she's like out very outspoken something i i, I really like and she has her own fashion brand <laughs> something i really like so then i think yeah so pretty cool chick so she became a mom while also tried to still be a, a pro a pro player so yeah i think that's that's someone something that inspires me you know that more than i don't know how many grand slams uh, she won well it's certainly an opportunity for the sponsors you know that you don't have to worry about the people that you're interested in winning you know they can just be interesting really good motivational people yeah, that's that's that. I think so too. And I, and some brands already use that quite smart. And I think that that's an opportunity for the future to use women cycling to get those personalities and to, those stories out there. And um, I mean, women are also very easy to reach to get in contact with. I, I was part of a cycling team that had a, a men's team and a women's team. And I think quite soon they saw that it was way better to invite the women's to a sponsor meeting than the men because the women were much more engaging with the sponsors, with the guests. They easier share their knowledge or experience or they were just maybe more social. I don't know, but 
that is something that you can give back as a as an athlete is maybe much more valuable for a, a sponsor than just those victories. Do you think that that will change with increased money in the sport? Like, will women all, all of a sudden be aloof because they're making more money? No, I don't think so. No, I don't because, think so either. But. No, no, that's not. No, I've always enjoyed it as well. So, right. do you have long-term goals that we haven't discussed already? Uh, yeah, I think a long-term goal is that um, what I think is very important is to um, to reach those new audience and to establish a true women's uh, league, a racing league. The best would be to have full sustainability as a global women's sporting union eh, for, for ourselves, for the Cyclist Alliance, with multiple sources and with broadcasting agreements, you know, um, we have good relationships with all the stakeholders and to really influence the, the sport. And um, that, that's a goal for, for the Cyclist Alliance, for women's cycling. The goal is, yeah, the same actually to make it a, a sustainable economic uh, sustainable sport and to be more global to reach out to new fans uh, to have all the riders you know to be a truly professional not that they only feel they're a professional but they are really a professional um, and I also really hope that we can establish this uh, mentorship program with a chance for education, for after-career support, um, with maybe a pension plan that would be, yeah, very important for... This was something that came out of the survey as well. The, the riders are very concerned about their future. So, um, yeah, this this after-career support is uh, is a big thing we're, we're working on and, and hopefully we can establish that in the, in the future or near future even better. Yeah, that's so smart to think about what's next. Yeah, well, but there are very smart riders, so the, it's it's a really smart peloton. If you look to the uh, numbers of how many riders have a higher education at the moment, that's really amazing. So, yeah, it's a smart bunch of uh, women, and 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 they are concerned about their future. So, it's great if we can help them right. uh, with that. What are your goals for media coverage? Of, of women's cycling um so so we're, we're now speaking with possible or looking for different opportunities and i think that comes really together with a more exciting women's calendar and i think the the goal is to have a more modern format for delivery over free-to-air tv and digital on-demand platforms and uh, to create that fan experience where we just talked about that you can build a connection through those personal stories. But yeah, to get the racing out there and to make new fans and to get the riders uh, known. So yeah, coming back to the goal, uh, how to reach that is create that the race series or at least that that's something we hopefully can do together with the UCI that you really create a a narrative, a story for uh, a series of racing. I mean, we have a series of racing, we have the World Tour, but you can tell the story better and uh, bring that to a more modern format of, uh, of, of media delivery. 
I think we can be an important um, organization to to push for that. To to we have quite a quite a few connections within our um, association at the moment, and and we are already working on that. So oh, you're working hope... directly with media companies. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, we're trying to. It's no scoop or something. It's there's nothing. Uh, there's nothing arranged yet. But uh, yeah, we're working with our business plan uh, with some advisors on pos- different possibilities. So um, yeah, cool. I think cool. that that's a that's a realistic uh, goal. So who who are your heroes? You mentioned tennis. Is Billie Jean a, a hero? Uh, yeah, she's she's definitely a, a good role model. I, I would say, um, who who's a, my hero? You know, I get inspiration from so many things, like what happened last uh, summer in in the United States with the hockey players. I think that's the kind of things that are really inspiring. When I just saw this evening the the speech of uh, Oprah Winfrey, I think, oh yeah, that you know, there's just so many things going on in women's sports or. When it comes to um, uh, equality, that are all things that that uh, inspire me. I can mention one hero, but uh, there are, I think maybe maybe the the women's peloton is my hero. There are so many great writers in there who I think deserve, you know, a good treatment and a good career, and uh, and especially uh, they deserve a future with their sport. Think that's the best motivation. Yeah, are you writing? Are you still writing yourself? Uh, yeah, well, it's it's a little bit busy at the moment. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm st- I'm still uh, writing once in a while. Yeah. What's your favorite breakfast? My favorite? Oh yeah, I'm I'm really boring with breakfast. Uh, for the last twenty years, I have the same breakfast. So it's just fruit and yogurt and and muesli. I guess that's my favorite. I've decided that most athletes eat some version of oatmeal every day. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> when when I put some mango in, then uh, then it's a real treat. So. <laughs> and what about favorite food? Do you have a favorite food? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Dutch food, of course. Well, not of course, but, uh, you know. I've... What's Dutch food? Um, yeah, what's Dutch food is a... Is a... <laughs> Well, to explain, but it's mostly potatoes and vegetables all mashed together, like a big vegetable mashed up plate. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really look very attractive, but it tastes <laughs> very good. And uh, I'm, I'm, I, I love to eat uh, red beets. Oh, I like red yeah. beets. Yeah. Well, is, we're wrapping things up. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to talk about? Well, first of all, it's it's important to say that it's not just me, this uh, cyclist alliance, but it's uh, it's also Carmen Small and Gracie Alvin, and we have a a great uh, group of advisors. For example, with Mariana Foss, and some you know many advisors who have their own specialty were connected already to some bigger player unions like the Uni World Players Association and EU Athletes, who are very uh, helpful. And um, so it's not just me, at a, not at all. Um, and what else I want to add? No, I think I'm happy with with all the attention we get, and it's great you 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 tell me all the, those questions. And uh, and you know anyone who has ideas or want to support somehow or 
wants to make some remarks or has more questions, they're always welcome to uh, to contact us. And um, yeah, that's that's it. I think, um, like Carmen said, this can be a, and I really believe so. This can be a changing point for for the sport of women's cycling and. And hopefully we will become one of the biggest sport in women's sports. That would be uh, great. And I think also realistic. All right. That was Iris from early January of this year. Our second call was just a couple of weeks ago. And we talked about everything that has happened in the last six months. If you would like to contact Iris, head to her episode page on hearhersports.com for links to reach her. Thank you so much, Iris, for coming back. It's been a while, actually, when I was looking at the Skype. It's been six months since our first conversation. So (laughs) it's been a long time. So what's been happening with the Alliance since we last spoke? Um, Quite a lot, I think. So if it's six months ago that we spoke, that's when we just started uh, officially. Uh, And yeah, I think the last six months were quite... um, I have to say it's been it's been really great. It's been overwhelming, but it's it's also worrying because yeah, there's definitely a need for a union that helps the riders. So, I mean, we all knew there was an an ask for it, but uh yeah, the fact that uh, there is quite a lot of riders reaching out to us is also, you know, it's 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 not not always a good thing. Uh because of the situation the riders are in. So, but yeah, I think I think in the six months we made quite a lot of progress, but it's also been a learning experience because now since we've really started, we've also noticed like, oh, all the work it involves. And there, there were a lot of quite some things that came up that we didn't really n- knew before. Like I what? Mean, oh, um, I guess the complications of cases sometimes, but also... I think what surprises me the most is that uh, it's still so hard for riders to, uh, I mean, they come to us with with a complaint or a question or for help, and then we provide an answer or we say, okay, you can do this or that or go to, we can, we can help you to file a complaint at the UCI or we can we can write an email to your team manager, but always when it comes to that kind of point, there are many riders who hold back and who say like, okay, no, no thanks. Um, we don't want to proceed because, you know, they're, they're afraid for results of that kind of action. So mm-hmm. yeah, that that's, um, I think this is a process that's sl- We need to have some successes to show the riders that, yeah, they're they're more they're in a more stronger position than they think, and uh, that will give them some confidence. But uh, up until now, there are many riders who who still think that all the power is with the teams or with the UCI or you right. know whoever. Yeah, you know that reminds me of a situation that I was in. This is like you know many many years ago. But I got criticized by the team, and I would say that I was not supported by the other riders. So I understand riders' concern. Yeah. You know, it's like the US, women's U.S. hockey team. What made them successful was that every single woman hockey yeah. player in the country banded together. True. That's exactly it. So we did help some riders from teams, but they, they really need to realize that, okay, if we do this all together, then 
then we're gonna achieve something. But you know, at the end, we cannot force a rider to to do something, to file a complaint or to go to arbitrage. We can just support them and explain them what their rights are and help them and even you know start a process for them. But it, it is the rider who, I mean, they have to agree on it. And, and it's it's apparently still a very scary thing for for riders to do. And, and yes, that is understandable. But I really hope this will change in the future because in, in this way, then, you know, at the end, nothing will change if we, yeah. Right. I mean, another concern that I would have is that it would sort of derail your season. Like, let's say you have a complaint, yeah. it, you file it, and then all of a sudden your entire season is focused on this complaint True. and the arbitrage. So is, is that an actual concern? Yeah, that is a concern because, like, quite a big part of the complaints that, that come in have to do with team ethics. So it's intimidation or um, uh, mental abuse or riders are being forced to do stuff that they don't feel comfortable with and and in this kind of case when we you know the rider should go to the ethics commission at the uci but this you can do that anonymously so if you file a complaint for example against your uh, sport director or your team manager the complaint will be immediately sent forward to that person so he can uh, he or she can um have an have an answer on that and i mean if you do that in in april or march every rider will know that if they have the courage to go to the ethics commission for sure for sure they won't be racing anymore the rest of the season right because uh yeah and and at the end every rider just wants to race we had two cases that the rider says okay i don't care anymore if i'm being put out of the team or if i don't race anymore my life's so miserable right now i take the I take the gamble, but for most riders, it's still more important to race than to make a complaint. So yeah, and and we really pushed and asked the UCI multiple times, like, please can you make an a, like a anonymous an ombudsman or I don't know what the word is in English, but like a person you can go to and you can you can complain and they and your complaint stays anonymous, but um, yeah. Right. Until now, that's not that's not something that they. I mean, they're talking about it, but uh, they haven't installed something like that yet. So I think this, you know, this ethics commission thing is okay. It's good. It's there, but I don't think it really works for for a lot of riders. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm encouraged that it, it certainly sounds like the riders are taking advantage of your services. Yeah, I mean, I think until now we helped up around 8 to 10 riders. And a few times this rider presented like also her teammates. So I think we've helped quite a lot of riders. And very often it's it's quite simple. Like, for example, there's a rider that doesn't get paid anymore because she's been sick for one or two months. And her team manager says, OK, we don't pay you anymore because you're sick. And she comes to us and she says, hey, is that actually possible? And then, yeah, of course, we say, no, that's not possible. So we show the UCI regulations and we look at her contract. And, you know, even in actually in some contracts, it's written that you don't get paid anymore if you're sick. But in, in most contracts, it isn't. And then, you know, just showing that to her team manager makes that she gets paid again because the 
team managers they realize like oh okay probably she has some kind of support or she knows the rules so we cannot fool around with this kind of stuff i think you know we most of it yeah most of the times you don't have to go to arbitrage or to get something done it's just uh you know showing the riders what her rights are and helping her to show that to her team manager and this is you know has been done with already with a rider who would be fired for no reason or not getting paid or yeah we had some small success and i think this is definitely important also riders that got asked to sign contracts about equipment that were undermining their actual contract and we just, and they asked us hey should we sign this and we said no don't sign it because it undermines your your actual contract and no one signed it and at the end you know yeah they could still use the equipment so right well you know the, the thing that i like about that is that it's also showing the team management that you know the riders are now going to be assertive exactly it's a small thing and this is something we've said from the beginning. It's a small thing that can make a big difference to give the riders the education of what their rights are and that they have support. Yeah. I interrupted you um, as you were telling me, you know, what, what's been happening since we last spoke. Is there anything else? <laughs> yeah. Um, so coming to these, to these uh, ethical conditions, Safety within teams, but also within races, but especially within teams, has been one of the biggest concerns from the riders that came out of the, the survey that we did uh, in 2017. And and this has been one of our main objectives. What do you mean by safety? So um, that the working environment is a safe place so that you know that the team staffing is well educated for the job they do. And if they breach the the ethics code, for example, that they can also be prosecuted or <laughs> I don't know what's the word. At least they can be held accountable for their deeds. And this is something, like I said before, we asked the UCI to to install some kind of ombudsman. They haven't done that, but at least they they just presented a new code of conduct that's going to be. Um, they will enforce that in 2019 and it has to be signed by all employees of a UCI women's team. And it's a code of conduct that states very clearly like, okay, this is what I can and can do working for a team. I think there's two things. It will raise awareness of harassment that some riders uh, still face, but it will also give the rider even more support and confidence that Whenever someone in your team staff does not respect this code of conduct, it will result into sanctions. So I think, you know, it's just a little bit of that extra support of, you know, what what can and can be done in a professional sporting environment. Mm -hmm. let's, let's say it like that. Mm -hmm. Another thing is insurance, which was also a big priority for riders. Um there are regulations now on which insurance a team should provide and which ones the rider herself should provide, but it's very unclear. And we did have already quite a lot of questions about it this year. And when we talk with uh, national federations, it's a little bit like a gray area. And that results into that some riders are underinsured. This is health insurance, right? 
Yeah, this is health insurance. Yeah. So the, the regulations will be stronger and also more clear on that for next year. And we also provide insurance package now, right now already for the riders together with an insurance company in Germany that provides already insurance packages for a lot of bigger teams. Wow, that's great. That's a great offering. So, uh, yeah, so that the riders can buy that package for a reduced price because they're a member of us. Yeah, you know, at the end, we 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 want that every rider has the full support from her team. But right now, I think this is the second best option. At least, you know, the most important is, I think, for riders also to understand that, you know, it's it's a pretty dangerous sport. So... Yeah, your insurance is is super important. I would think that just making it easy for them to get insurance at a reduced price True. would be really and, helpful. And all, and and also it's important that they get an insurance that's very focused on on the rider as a professional cyclist. I think it of course, huh? It provides a bit more crash insurance. Uh, yes, <laughs> for example, <laughs> dental insurance maybe. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that, that's uh, that's two things, and I, uh, something else. That, that what we've done in the last few months is that we we launched the mentorship program. We've talked about that last winter. That that's been our plan from the beginning, and I think two months ago we've we've started it. And the mentorship program is we we match a experienced rider with a young rider from different countries and different teams. And we had sort of like, let's say, uh, a soft lounge. <laughs> but we've already got, I think, six or seven couples right now. We're still working on a, on a, on an online platform that we can provide also some extra things for for the mentors and the mentees. But for now, there we we match them. And this has been done like on a, on a questionnaire and to see like where are their interests and, you know, what kind of types of riders are they. And they just communicate with each other by WhatsApp or calling or in speaking with each other in the race. And we help the mentors or the mentees, but mostly the mentors, if they have any question about the mentoring or mm-hmm. the coaching and um yeah we get really good feedback on that so that's definitely what we want to uh, keep building on and i think it's also this is actually a very simple thing it's just connecting people but it's it's very valuable for the riders and also the mentors they really enjoy sharing their experiences so sure. um yeah i would think uh, it would also help sort of you know, more open conversation about the issues that you're talking about and wanting to work on so that there's just greater communication. Yeah, it's true. And what I personally very often experienced as a writer, it's that it's sometimes difficult to talk about issues like uh, salary or um, even the way your team manager behaves in the team or Sometimes you're in a team and you think yourself like, hmm, is this normal? <laughs> and all your teammates pretend like it's normal. So you right. don't really want to ask it, especially when you're when you're young. And then it's easier to, you know, I always had that kind of person myself when I was a writer, sort of like a mentor. And, uh, and that really helped me that, that I could just call her sometimes. And I said like, hey, 
you know, is this is this normal? E- even about your own teammates, you know, it's it's something you can prepare for being a pro cyclist. So right. when you're 18 or 19 and you and you step into this weird world of <laughs> pro athletes and cycling races and everything, it's uh, yeah, cool. That's great. Uh, so what are your days like? You mentioned that it's been overwhelming. So my first thought was like, how many hours are you working? And what are you doing every day? Yeah, well, I still have, um, I was to say, three normal jobs. No, you <laughs> so... don't. Oh, no. <laughs> so this is just uh, for for Gracie, Carmen and me. This is all like uh, voluntary work we do. How about and that? And most of the times we do it in, in evenings or early mornings or you know, a lot of stuff I just squeeze in between my other work. I'm uh, self-employed, so I'm pretty flexible in my times. But yeah, it's it's quite, um, I think I spend 10 to 15 hours a week working for the Cyclist Alliance. So it's, yeah, it's quite a lot next to all, all the no- normal work. But um, you're a designer, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. I remember yeah. that from last time. So what have the biggest struggles been? for you in the last six months or year even? Well, actually the, the finance or let's say the resources, that's quite of a struggle because we just do everything now from the membership fees and um, yeah, that's not a lot. So um, yeah, we actually don't have any resources. So, it, you know, we try to make not too much cost, but of course we, you know, sometimes I have to fly somewhere for meetings or, um, yeah, you just have like administrational costs uh, or the website. And actually, you know, it would be good if we have some resources to to hire also some expertise, like when it comes to legal um, help. We're, we're really lucky that we've got a lot of offers for help as well. So we do have a lawyer that helps us for free. We have a webmaster who helps us for free. Until now, almost all people work for us voluntarily. So that, that's really great. But of course, to, to even provide more for this mentorship program, it would be good if we have some uh, resources. But So if there's any uh, company that wants to get involved, they're really welcome. Yeah. You know, I know that all your services are for the UCI, current UCI riders, but, you know, like, I would like to join. Do you have a membership for non-current riders? Yeah, so you can make a donation, but uh, at the moment, we've got that question quite a lot recently. So we're working on affiliate membership so that you can join as a, as a member as well if you aren't a rider. So, yeah, that, that's definitely, but that's something we learn while, like, while doing it. And, it. and it's great that people give us that kind of feedback. Well, you know, it, it's sort of like what we've talked about before is that you do want to promote the sport. And this True. is certainly one way that I can do, <laughs> I can do yeah. that without being yeah. a writer. And, you know, I think yeah. this is such an important project that you're working on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, very soon you can be uh, become an affiliate member. Excellent. And uh, and another struggle is, I think, uh, reaching out to the riders, actually. On this moment, we have 90 uh, members, which isn't so bad, but uh, it could be a bit more. I mean, our aim was like around 150 riders by the end of the season. So uh, we, d- we did notice that you have like the early adapters, the riders who really see you know, share our vision and wants to join. And that's been a lot of the like top riders. And there are the riders that really need our help that joined. And then there's quite a big group of riders that are just a little bit 
I wouldn't say lazy, but, you know, when we ask them, we say, hey, why didn't you sign up yet? They were like, oh, yeah, you know, I still need to do it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I forget it every time. So, right. you know, we really have to go to the riders and explain them and say, okay, sign up. And uh, and then they'll do it because it's not that they don't want to sign up, but it's just a, a, that they're a bit slow. And then it's also a little bit, I think, a language barrier so especially italian and uh, spanish writers we communicate everything in in english and for the dutch and the germans it's pretty easy but for italian and, and spanish it's a bit harder so um, we we do try to translate sometimes in in multiple languages but if you have to translate all your newsletters into five languages mm. it, this takes a lot of time as well so right yeah one other thing that we just decided is to open up also for mountain bike, CX, BMX and track. So we want to help. And this was another question that that we learned while doing it from riders from different disciplines. Like they just asked like, hey, can we join as well? And first we thought like, oh, we've got our hands full just on road cycling. But we also learned that there are so many, for example, we provide an improved standard contract for our members. And this is something uh, that's that's useful for every kind of rider. If you're mm-hmm. a mountain biker or a track rider, it doesn't matter. And the same is for the insurance or for the men- mentorship program. So we're working on a sort of a separate commission now with Helen Wyman, for example. Mm-hmm. A, uh, CX rider is helping us with that. So, yeah, hopefully very soon we can... Yeah, make that a bit more official. Yeah, we can sign up also members from other disciplines. That'd be great. Adds to the pot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think in in general, it's um, I think it's just a very positive project, and we we do get a lot of great responses. And I just still feel like there's so much potential in women cycling, and we we really try to change our sport in a positive way and make the riders start to realize they're the most important part of their sport and i think that's the most important that um you know we women we can be a little bit i think uh yeah we put ourselves a, a bit too much uh on the background <laughs> you know if that's, a, if that's an english expression but do you know what it i mean it sure is yeah. yes i do know what you mean yes speak up have a voice yeah yes yeah 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 Well, great. Well, thank you again so much for agreeing to this follow-up call, and we'll stay in touch. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Ciao. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks to you for listening. Tell your friends about the podcast. Here Her Sports was started to increase media coverage of female athletes and women in sport. 44% of athletes are women, yet only 4% of media coverage is about women. That's not a number. It's a rounding error. Spread the word about fantastic, strong women speaking up and doing amazing things. Please subscribe on iTunes and encourage people you know to do the same. It really does help more people to find the podcast. Thank you to Agnes Studio, the blog She Rides Her Bike, Gold Mines, and Leap Strategies for super support and partnership. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Bye-bye.
Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!